hearings took place over the past week, and Friday is the big, the big Kahuna Day. It is the day of the Don. Inauguration Day takes place Friday, so we got a, a lot of material to go over, cover, and look forward to. So tighten your seatbelt and get ready to rock and roll. It is FritzCast. It's another exhilarating week. Welcome to the program. It is Monday, January 16th, 2017. It is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And how odd is it that just a couple days ago, uh, Trump is... Sorry. How ironic is it that that Donald Trump is uh, mean-tweeting against... um, Representative John Lewis of Georgia, uh, uh, you know, civil rights leader type. And <laughs> Lewis says Trump's not a, a legitimate president, which I'm sorry, he is. I'm, I'm a little tired of those criticisms of whether or not he's a legitimate president. Last I checked, you need a certain amount of electoral votes to win and become the president, and Hillary Clinton did not do that. And you guys know I'm saying that not as a rub-in because I don't I didn't want Trump nor did I want Clinton, but I'm not going to be I'm not going to be all Trump's an illegitimate president and Russia 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 Russia. No, I don't feel like doing that, but Trump uh said Lewis was all talk and then of course there was certain images posted of Lewis during the civil rights Movement era getting beat up by the police. So who's all talking? No game. Not uh, not Representative Lewis by a long shot. But uh, we'll get into the politics and all that in 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 a, in a little bit. Let's. I always like easing into the insanity. Start off normal and and just slowly tiptoe into the sea of insanity before it engulfs us all. And drowns us. Because it's going to do that anyway. I said uh, I said last week that I had a pretty eventful week. And that's the same case this week. Or this past week. Very eventful week. If I may say so. I'm in a train. The trainer course. Which is like. A, it's, a, it's a renowned type of program. In which. Qualified trainers train individuals in specialized fields. Uh, Me, for example, corrections, you know, instead of having those trainers come in and train teachings for correctional stuff, which makes all of us line workers go, you guys don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) They teach us so that we can develop trainings and implement them and better our workforce the way that we can. Oddly enough, uh, I did studies... My studies in school right now, in my uh, final two college classes, I'll be saying that a couple. I'll be saying that over the next couple weeks because I'm excited to be finishing out. If you, if you know what I mean, it'll be nice to get that off my shoulders because right now I feel like I'm trying to juggle 20 billion things and I don't have the time for anything. It seems like. 
one of my classes is management principles and the other one is human resources yada yada I forget the name of it and I don't want to look it up right now it took me a minute to boot up the computer this morning the computer is getting uh, it's starting to really I've been saying it's starting to show its age it's starting to really show its age now because I booted up my program and it wasn't reading my microphone and then I had to restart my computer install a slew of updates and this is stuff that I normally don't have to do on a Mac anymore but this Mac is also like 10 years old so but regardless one of these classes was about training and looking up those type of things and career development that type of uh, information and I had to look up in one of the school libraries peer-reviewed journal academic journals train the trainer was in that and it made me feel like it was a little bit more legitimate now I was like oh well it's being talked about on college level so it's not some made-up state thing I've been through one day of that so far and it's been an interesting class it's definitely something that I can use to craft myself a little bit different um, you might be thinking hey haven't you uh, haven't you been doing this field training thing for like a year don't you I mean you now you're going to get a certification in training do you really even need to do that yeah you do I'm revisiting all the training I've developed for my program because I'm not a perfect man I'm a little you guys might find this a little surprising, especially you long-time listeners. I'm a little scatterbrained sometimes. Sometimes I'm all over the board, and that's because my organizational skills, when I'm not paying attention to them, suck. Can you believe that? Yeah, I can admit a shortcoming, a downfall to me. So I'm going back over all these trainings I developed, and I'm going, oh, I left a, a hole there, I left, uh, I left out information there. Uh, I could really revamp this and give them a better idea with this. But, you know, I came to that conclusion this last class, developed a, a survey for that class to take to better the program, and, and gave them the opportunity to give suggestions, and they did. And I'm starting to apply all that. It is enlightening. It is... And I'm not faking saying that either. It really is something that I enjoy doing because... It feels significant. It feels like I have a purpose in the job now. And it's hard to, maybe it's hard to say that, but in corrections itself, just being a correctional officer going in there and doing your job, it it feels so monotonous and it feels like, yeah, nobody cares that I'm doing this job. It's a job that's here that's got to get done. There is some truth to that, but... I have put myself in positions to advance myself and put myself higher up in, in the ranks because you, you, if you have those opportunities and you want them, you take them. And you learn as you go. That's how things work out sometimes. So there's something to be said about it, the initiative there, I think. Maybe it's not entirely. I don't, you know, I'm not going to, I don't want to toot my own horn either. I'm very bad at it tooting my own horn, painting myself as an enthusiastic individual, but I'm, I'm taking kind to it, and I'm, I'm trying to curve myself, you know, I'm, I'm now, it's more, it's more like setting career goals, 
even if the career goals aren't going to remain solidly in the Department of Correction, for example, maybe it's maybe it'll branch out into something that I really do want to do, like media relations, broadcasting, podcasting, digital media marketing, or, or something like that. I'm starting to realize that you can take these principles that work here, but they'll work elsewhere as well. They just help build yourself up. And it's important to do that, uh, especially nowadays in the world. It seems like you have to take your own initiative to do that in some cases, at least for a little bit before other people take note and start giving you other opportunities. Uh, because I'm not, at this point right now, I, I don't think I'm the entrepreneurial type. I'm sure somebody out there would argue that I am because, you know, hey, you spent money and started a podcast and have a little thing going. That's kind of what entrepreneurship is. Needless to say, I always take the opportunity. You know, I might I might have been training for a year. That doesn't mean that I can't go to a, a, a course, a certification class for training, learn new things, apply them, make myself better, and roll with it from there. I mean, it's the same thing going through schooling right now you started it off i started schooling off because not be not to better myself but because hey if you don't have a bachelor's degree nobody's going to take you seriously i've come a long way and learned that that's not always exactly the case and that a degree doesn't a degree in and of itself doesn't mean anything doesn't guarantee anything for you but if you have the drive and you can build up a network, a profile for yourself, some kind of work that you've done. And then you have a degree that you earned along with it. And you put those two together. You're more credentialed than somebody who's coming in to the game with nothing. If that makes sense. Hopefully it makes sense. But So I've had that training class. That's Wednesdays for the next couple of weeks. I had to actually switch up classes because I was in two I was in I'm in my last two classes this week. They were both originally they were both three three credit classes. And then it came up that uh, I only needed five credits left in my program. So if I took three or if I took two three credit classes That'd put me a credit over, which isn't a bad thing, but it costs money to go for a three-credit thing. So I uh, talked with my counselor, got it bumped to a two-credit class, and saved me a little bit of money in the long run, uh, taking a different elective. Which, huh, we can debate electives and all that. I'll do an episode on higher education. All right, I keep referring to it as school, it's college. I'll refer. I'll, I'll do an episode on higher education, quote unquote, uh, because I follow people like Mike Rowe. I subscribe more to the Mike Rose of the world that college isn't everything, and that it definitely should not be pressured on everybody, and there shouldn't be this push to get everybody a bachelor's degree because it's really there's there's too much. There's almost like I don't even know where to start talking about it. And I don't want to focus on that this episode either. And why don't I want to focus on that this episode? 
none other than the fact that Friday is Inauguration Day, ladies and gentlemen. And it's sad that Trump's Twitter takes the highlight of all this. And I, I, I use Twitter as well. And I'm starting to notice that some of the conservative people that I follow are in the same camp as me. And I'm glad I'm not alone in thinking that uh, maybe his Twitter should just be like kaput, shut off, no access. Maybe Maybe an aide should do his tweeting for him. I hate America's whole, I hate the the diehard supporter role of, uh, oh, we love him, he's so down to earth and real, and it's him, he's unfiltered, it's not politically correct. I, I get that people have been turned off by political correctness and all that, but can I just read you some of the tweets from Donald Trump just in, within the past week or so? It started with Meryl Streep's little speech at the Golden Globes, we talked about that. <laughs> Trump's tweeting, Meryl Streep, one of the most overrated actresses in Hollywood. She doesn't know me, but attacked me last night at the Golden Globe. She is a Hillary flunky who lost big. For the hundredth time, I've never mocked a disabled reporter. Would never do that, but simply showed him groveling when he totally changed a 16-year-old story that he had written in order to make me look bad. Just more very dishonest media. Tuesday, he was bashing the media on Twitter about the uh, supposed reports. Let's see here. It was that a former British intelligence official, British intelligence official, uh, whose Russian sources claim to have compromising personal and financial information on pre- on President-elect Donald Trump. Wednesday, he was tweeting that it was uh, that Russia said it was an unverified report paid for by political components, complete and total fabrication, utter nonsense, very unfair. Another tweet read, Russia has never tried to use leverage over me. I have nothing to do with Russia. No deals, no loans, no nothing. Kremlin denied it. Uh, Another Trump tweet from Wednesday. Intelligence agencies should never have allowed this fake news to leak to the public. One last shot at me. Are we living in Nazi Germany? Throwing the Nazi and, and all that back in the faces of his of his critics. Uh, still tweeting on Wednesday. Dear God, this is just an example of what I'm talking about. We had a great news conference at Trump Tower today. A couple of fake news organizations were there, but the people truly get what's going on. That's when he shut down a CNN reporter. He, he told a CNN reporter trying to ask him a question, you're fake news. I'm not answering your question. You're fake news. People ran with that. People loved it. And you know what? I grew wary of it. You know why? You know why I grew wary of it? This is the leader of the free world standing at a pulpit telling the press to shove it. And the press, mind you, the press does deserve criticism for things, if I can sidebar that, I believe all this Russia talk, I believe the media has been reckless with it, because they want a story, and they want viewers, and they want enraged Americans, okay, Russia, this is the headline that they keep going with, and the way they refer to it every time, and it pisses me off to no avail, Russia hacked the election, which conjures up images of Russian operatives on a computer hacking into a voting booth and switching votes, which did not happen. 
And if it did happen, they failed miserably because there's about 3 million votes difference in favor of Secretary Hillary Clinton. Former Secretary Hillary Clinton. Why am I even Hillary Clinton? I don't need to give her a title anymore. She just is. It's not necessarily the media being dishonest, but it's them grasping at whatever they can grasp at for the attention. I don't care if Russia hacked the DNC email servers or the or the Podesta servers or any any of that. I don't care. I really don't care. If they actually meddled in an election, it's one thing, but we're just grasping at straws here. Then he then he's tweeting about Hillary Clinton again and the emails and the FBI investigation. And then tweeting about Obamacare. It's ridiculous, man. If I want... I follow Donald Trump on Twitter. So maybe I'm an enabler of sorts. Maybe I just enjoy the ridiculousness of it. I don't I don't know. But this is getting old. This is getting old fast. Do people not realize that this is... Uh, this is very it's very telling Donald Trump you can be you can you could have voted for him proudly you can proudly support him if you if you choose to do that but i got to say anybody who's saying like he's the man he tells it like it is he dishes it out he doesn't hold back. He's not reserved, whatever. He is so thin-skinned. And if you can't admit that, I mean, wake up and just read anything. Anytime a criticism of Donald Trump comes out, whether it's legitimate or not, what does he do? He takes to Twitter like a little five-year-old boy and flings whatever poo he can fling. That's That's the Donald Trump way. He made fun of me, so I'm going to make a hissy fit and talk about how he's a big baby. It, it's so it's so dumb. It's so dumb, and maybe it's just because I work in a profession where thin-skinnedness doesn't work out. I can, I can certainly tell you that everything Donald Trump's been called by people, I've been called by people. Every threat flung Donald Trump's way kind of been flung my way not often but but it happens and I don't take it personally I really don't I usually just brush them off because what do I care it really they're words they are words and I know Donald Trump nor anybody in the Trump camp is really going to ever hear my program or hear me I'm I'm nothing but an insignificant little peon in the American system for real I'm I'm nothing but a little man but you took an opportunity to run for the highest office in the free world and you just expect that everybody's going to be hunky-dory with you? Especially when you act like a little kid. 
Okay, this is how much Trump and Trump's camp act like little kids. There is a company that owns and operates porta potties, right? You know, there's a big event coming up Friday, the inauguration. Millions of people are going to be in the streets. How do you accommodate for people who need to go to the bathroom? You, you put porta potties around. And what's what's another name for porta potties? Porta Johns. <laughs> there's a company that owns them that's setting them up at the event called Don's Johns. Now that in of itself is funny. It's Don's Johns. That's funny. Don the Don's Johns are everywhere. They're gonna be all over the city. The Donald Trump camp is taping over the name Don's Johns. Why? Because they're little babies that just can't stomach the idea that people are gonna play with the name, possibly graffiti them. So how do you change that? You tape it up, which does nothing. People can just rip the tape right off the goddamn Portageon. That's how babyish it is. Like D- Donald Trump could have, uh, he could have handled that two or three different ways. Uh, the way he went with is taping over the name, big significant. Uh, that that'll teach him. That'll shut people up. Tape, tape over the Don's Johns because they're not my Johns and I'm not going to hear people talk about this shit. That's one route he could have gone. The next route he could have gone is firing that company and hiring like a standard uh, porta potty business to, to come in and put him in. The third thing he could have done, and I'm surprised he didn't do this, he could have just bought Don's Johns and said they're the best porta potties in the world. That's why they're lining my. That's why they're lining the uh, the streets for my inauguration. They'll be the comfiest place you ever took a crap. And if he was a really truly smart man, he would have done that. That's what I would have done. I would have been like, yeah, they're Don's Johns. Yeah, best place you can take a crap. We put two ply toilet paper in there. You find me another porta potty business that puts two ply in there. That's expensive shit. It's gonna be quite the inauguration this Friday coming up. I could, you know, I'm not that far from DC. I could take a trip down there. However, I work Friday night, and even if I even if I wasn't working, I'm not sure I would brave the storm of how incredibly whack that whole thing's gonna be. And the sad thing is, there's gonna be a lot of people going to the inauguration as just because it's a historical event. You go to the presidential inauguration to watch the peaceful transition of power. And you're going to have you have Democrats boycotting it right now. Uh, certain representatives boycotting saying they're not going to they're not going to go. There's numerous boycotts set up. There's norm, numerous protests set up. There's numerous marches being set up on or around Inauguration Day, whether it's going to be during the weekend. I believe the Women's March is happening on Saturday. Yes, it'll be Saturday following the inauguration. However, co-founder Tamika Hillary back in December was quoted saying, quote, We want to ensure this country knows women are not happy, and when we get angry, change happens. We make things happen, 
this is and this is not an anti-Trump effort. This is a pro-women effort. This is a continuation of a struggle women have been dealing with for a very long time. In this moment, we are connecting and being as loud as possible. End quote. And that was from NPR, for what it's worth. That was back, like, December 21st, so nearly a month ago now. And honestly, if you Google it and look up different articles, there's there's really question marks about the organization of it and how it was being carried out and planning and all that all that stuff. And, and you'll probably see that with a lot of things going on in New York at this time. New York, in New York, in, in Washington, D.C. Uh, I'm flipping to the Hill for the growing list, the, quote, growing list of Democrats boycotting the Trump inauguration. That would be an article about Jerry Nadler, a Democrat from New York, not going. Uh, That also includes a list of almost two dozen other Democrats who have said they will boycott Trump's inaugural address on Friday, breaking with tradition. And speaking of rallies and protests and movements and all that, uh, Democrats nationwide over the past couple of uh, days, over the weekend really, were leading nationwide rallies in defense of Obamacare. Leaders such as uh, Bernie Sanders, of course, Chuck Schirmer, Gary Peters, Debbie Stabenow, 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 you might need health coverage if you're going to get to stab it now. According to this Hill article, the largest gathering was in Warren, Michigan. Uh, that's where Shermer, Stabenow, Peters, and Bernie Sanders, along with other members, were addressing a, a, a pretty sizable crowd of people. This article goes on to show pictures of uh, New York City rallies... Rallies in Tampa Bay, or Tampa, Florida. Uh, Vermont. Syracuse, New York. Portland, Maine. Boston, Massachusetts. Virginia. Although, if you look at the pictures, they're, they're very small, isolated crowds doing it. I mean, it's still people talking about it, for sure. Uh, whether or not... That whether or not that actually contributes or does anything, I don't know. But it, it, it's interesting to say the least. Some of the leaders that I follow, Rand Paul, for example, uh, Justin Amash, for example, they both are criticizing the GOP movements to repeal Obamacare because they don't have an adequate replacement, and they were doing it on the guise of a bill that was adding nine point seven trillion dollars. In debt, trillion no, nine point seven billion dollars. My mistake. In debt over the next ten years, Rand Paul had this to say specifically about the details of replacing Obamacare. I believe that it's incredibly important that we do replacement on the same day as we do repeal. We've had six years to complain, and we have complained. I've been one of those complaining about Obamacare. Replacement should be the same day. The replacement bill that we put together, our goal is to ensure the most amount of people give access to the most amount of people at the least amount of cost. And I think this is where Obamacare failed. They wanted to ensure people, their motives were good, their heart was in the right place, 
but they put so many mandates in it that they made it too expensive. So what's happening in the individual market, which is about six or 7% of the market, you have companies like Blue Cross of North Carolina losing $400 million because young, healthy people don't want to buy it because they're told, hey, you can get it anytime after you get sick. And so that they've broken the insurance model. The other problem with Obamacare is they put these mandates and said that every insurance policy has to have 10 items, things like pregnancy and dental coverage and all these things, which are great, but they add cost and that forced people out of the market. So one of the key reforms that we'll do is we're going to legalize the sale of inexpensive insurance. That means getting rid of the Obamacare mandates on what you can buy. We're going to help people save through health savings accounts as well as a tax credit. And then the, one of the things that we need to talk more about, and this is the third part of the replacement bill, is we're going to allow individuals to come together in associations to buy insurance. I understand as a small business person, I had a doctor's office with four employees. If one of my employees got cancer, it was devastating to the bottom line, not only to them, obviously, but to the bottom line of insurance. But there's no reason why someone with four employees shouldn't be able to join with hundreds and hundreds of other uh, businesses that are small to become a large entity to get leverage to bring your prices down, but also to get insurance that can't cancel you and uh, guarantees the uh, issue of the insurance even if you get sick. Now, listen to some of that because it's not ridiculous, right? Uh, part of the part of the thing that I've been saying about healthcare and the healthcare debate is that uh, w- one of the things that pops up is whether or not it's a fundamental human right, whether you have a human right to access to healthcare. I would argue that that's not even really an issue that goes on because this is America. It's not it's not you don't get rushed into a hospital needing emergency care. And they go, wait, do you have insurance? No, they treat you, and then they bill you. Yes, the bills are astronomical and impossible if you don't have insurance of some kind. And even with insurance, sometimes those services are expensive as hell. But this isn't a nation that just says, well, I guess you're going to go die. You know, it's not a nation like that. So, in terms of like health, or in terms of right to health care, in terms of uh, in terms of right to like emergency services and all that, that's that's something that that kind of is in place. But I understand there needs to be some kind of precedent there that people are covered for it. Okay, fair enough. Does that mean we mandate it, have the government leading the pack and controlling it? I don't believe so. I have a lot of different varying ideas of what you could do for that. I like Rand Paul's approach here on the back end because he's not saying, "Hey, screw all this stuff." But he is saying, you know what, young people don't want to pay that much for health insurance because they go to the doctor maybe once a year. If something bad happens, like that's what insurance is for. You don't want to walk into uh, the doctor on one of your routine physical exams that happens maybe once a year or every other year. You don't want to walk into your exam there and then be told suddenly you have cancer or you have some devastating, debilitating disease that's going to affect your life and it's going to cost money to deal with, to treat, whatever the case may be. Maybe you, maybe you look at tiered health insurances like that. You know, maybe you don't want health insurance to cover specific certain things. Maybe you do. I don't see why it can't be played around with a little bit. Uh, the the one of the other things is the one of the things that 
Rand Paul, a bunch of other people harp on, on the individual mandate of you have to have some kind of an, you have to have insurance or you're going to pay a fine to the government for not having insurance. And I don't like that aspect of the ACA or Obamacare or whatever you wish to call it at this point. I don't like the man. I don't like mandating things like that, um, because of the because of the reasons that were just explained. Almost, there might be you might be paying into a thing that's covering nine billion things, and only you need half of them. You know, is it smarter to have the coverage and be covered in case of all emergencies? Yes, but that's where I think maybe there should be some kind of catastrophic healthcare services or coverage or insurance then there should maybe be a smaller healthcare buy-in system coverage for me like walking into the doctor's office and getting a routine physical i don't i don't understand how that's not just a price thing i don't understand how i just walk in and they're like well that's fifty dollars here or that's a hundred and fifty dollars here Versus maybe there's a walk-in clinic down the street where it's only $50 to come in and get your routine physical. I don't understand how that stacks up. That's something that, honestly, I need to research more. But I like Rand Paul's approach better than just the good old GOP approach of, let's get rid of it right now. Let's get rid of it right now. Pass this bill that adds $9.7 billion to the debt. And have no replacement in place. And I'm one of those libertarians that say if you're going to scale back a law like that, or if you're going to make, if you're going to invoke some kind of mass change like that, it has to be in baby steps. It has to be slow. It can't be, it can't be the President Obama. I have a pen and paper, and that's all it takes. It can't be that way. It's not supposed to be that way. Never was supposed to be that way. A lot of power goes unchecked nowadays through Washington. It would seem. But that's Rand Paul's stance, and I tend to agree with Rand Paul, and I agree with him on this one. I'll give him kudos at least for driving a conversation that doesn't say, let's just nix the ACA and worry about how to deal with the problems that it, that will cause later. Because whether people want to admit it or not, it will cause problems. Yes, it will cause problems. There's certain things, there, there's really... There's really good debate and discussion you can have with people as long as you're doing it with sensible-minded people because things that are in the ACA, for instance, like the pre-existing condition clause. I've had arguments with people where they say, hey, the pre-existing condition clause is what's really screwing everything over because now everybody's required to get or nobody can be denied their health care because of a pre-existing condition. I can't blame somebody for being upset that they would have to, that they would get denied coverage for a pre-existing condition because you might not have necessarily done something to get that pre-existing condition. Think about hereditary issues. Think about the fact that you could have been born with a disease or some underlying illness that's going to be with you for the rest of your life maybe and adversely affect you. Should you be denied health care because you were born that way, which you had no control over? I'm not, I'm not so certain about that. I'm, it's hard to get into that kind of a debate because, really, I mean, don't you think that's kind of screwing over a guy or a gal, whoever it is? 
to say that okay they were born with this condition and we're not covering it because that's a pre that's a pre-existing condition oh that's not good that's that's not good at all that's actually that would I would I would argue that might be a form of discrimination of, of sorts and not a very good discrimination at that. I could understand the pre-existing condition from somebody being stupid and doing something stupid, at which point I'm not going to say they don't deserve their health coverage, but maybe they need to pay a little more then. If it was from a choice, if it was from a lifestyle choice that they personally made, that they personally put themselves in. But to just write off and strike pre-existing conditions is period the end I think that's a hard argument to make. I really do think that's a hard argument to make. Let it, needless to say, it's an emotional debate. Um, I want to move on, though. There's there's something interesting when these bills pop up, and I, I heard something from Tulsi Gabbard. She's she's somebody that I'm paying more attention to because, like I said, I don't, I don't want to be just a Republican's guy, just a... Uh, just a Republicans guy or just a conservative guy or a libertarian guy. I like getting a mix of everything. Tulsi Gabbard had an interesting bill that she's trying to push through right now. Take a listen real quick. This was her on Fox News the other day. And on Tucker Carlson, no less, who was the replacement, or is the replacement rather, for Megyn Kelly? I could go into a tirade about that, but I'm not going to. So your bill is called Stop Arming Terrorists. You've introduced it. Um, and your idea, as I understand it, is, look, the average American, you, me, not allowed to send weapons or aid terror groups. We and would yet, be thrown in jail. But the U.S. government, as a matter of policy, arms and aids these groups for a bunch of different reasons. But that's happening. Well, and this is the problem, Tucker, is that there's a double standard here. Uh, that for years now, our government, working with countries like Saudi Arabia, uh, Turkey and Qatar uh, have been through the CIA quietly been arming and supporting these groups that are directly working with groups like Al-Qaeda and ISIS, all in this effort to overthrow the Syrian government. They've been funneling support through uh, countries like Saudi Arabia uh, and others who are also, again, directly supporting these groups. Uh, this is madness that this has been allowed to occur for so long and madness that we have allowed the devastating consequences to occur as a result without checking it. And that's exactly what my bill does. The Stop Arming Terrorist Act very simply prohibits using American taxpayer dollars through any agency, overt or covert, or covert, whether it be the CIA, the DOD, or any other agency, from directly or indirectly providing weapons, money, intelligence, or other types of support to these groups that are uh, allied with and working with groups like uh, al-Qaeda, as this is happening right now today in Syria. Well, you obviously haven't been listening to some famous members of the Senate who've described those groups as freedom fighters, and you just don't understand how great they are. Uh, clearly. <laughs> this is the problem, though, Tucker, is that uh, only recently, this has been happening for years, but only recently has uh, have a few people in the media actually start talking about the truth of what we have been doing, right. about how our taxpayer dollars have been uh, spent there. Uh, and this fallacy that there are so-called moderate fighters 
uh, trying to overthrow the Syrian government just is not the reality right. today. When it you doesn't see exist. U.S. weapons in the hands of extre Islamic extremists and terrorists, you have to ask how that happened. And I'm glad you're asking yeah. that. Yeah. Well, we're asking it. We're trying to solve it. So, you know, I'm urging your viewers. We're trying to urge every member of Congress to sign on to this very sensible bill that is good for our country and good for our security. I think it's just sad that we live in a day and age where you have to come up with a bill that's called Stop Arming Terrorists Act. Now, a lot of people probably don't know about this bill because it was uh, it was introduced December 8th, 2016. Miss Gabbard shared this just a couple of days ago on Twitter, her tuck, her, her tuck, her, her talk, her conversation with Tucker Carlson. I can't, he has two last names. Anyway... Anyway, she presented it December 8th on behalf of herself, Representative Welch, Representative Lee, Representative Rohrabacher, and Representative Massey. And you know something else that's nice about that bill, too? I implore you to check it out. You can go to congress.gov and read these bills if you want. Uh, there's one version of this bill right now. As we speak, you can read the text of it. I implore you to go read it because it is literally, it, it is short, sweet, and to the point, which is how bills should be, correct? Well, it was introduced the 8th, and now it's just, it's just sitting there right now, been referred to the Committee on Foreign Affairs, so referred to the House Foreign Affairs Committee and referred to the House Intelligence Committee as well. So we're sitting and we're waiting for something to come of that one. As I said, the co-sponsors were uh, Rep. Welch, from Democrat from Vermont, at-large district. Uh, Rep. Representative Barbara Lee from California, Democrat. Uh, Roe Rebacher, Dana Roe Rebacher, Republican from California. Thomas Massey, Republican from Kentucky. And Walter B. Jones, Republican, North Carolina. It's a bill that I'm trying to pay attention to and one that's not uh, obviously taking the highlight because of the ACA pushes, the budgeting, the Senate hearings on, on Trump nominees, which uh, I'll tell you, I did watch some of them. I did watch some of them. And uh, it was like, you know, you got to see Cory Booker, for example, uh, testifying against, I believe it was Jeff Sessions, correct? And but Cory Booker's in a whole world of mess for going against the grain and voting nay to the uh, to this big Senate bill vote against Big Pharma, as it's you know been leaked that uh, he is potentially a big receiver of Big Pharma bills and things of that nature. Both my senators voted nay in that as well. Not surprising considering Delaware is a tax haven headquarters for business. So. That's a little interesting, and it's a little interesting to see what Republicans voted uh, in that. Uh, I'm reading from CNBC. Bernie Sanders is upset. I'm quoting this article now, written by Jake Novak. So give me a second here. Uh, quote, Bernie Sanders is upset, but after a fascinating vote in the U.S. Senate Wednesday night, it's Big Pharma that should be upset. In fact, Big Pharma should be afraid because for the second time this week, it's becoming obvious that its iron wall of protection in Washington is starting to crumble. 
On the surface, the drug companies won a battle against Senator Bernie Sanders as his bill to allow pharmaceutical distributors and pharmacists to import cheaper prescription drugs from Canada and other countries lost by a narrow 52 to 46 vote. And Sanders is fuming at the 13 Democratic senators who essentially killed the bill by voting against it. But first impressions can be deceiving. The bigger news is that 12 Republicans joined the Sanders forces and voted in favor of his bill. Suddenly, the battle lines in the pharma wars are shifting. They didn't shift in time to get this cheaper cheaper drug importation bill passed, but that measure was small potatoes anyway. Stakes will be much higher in the coming months, and the anti-pharma armies are growing stronger. Just look at the names of the key GOP senators with seniority or national renown as conservatives who voted in favor. Ted Cruz, Charles Grassley, John Thune, John McCain, Jeff Flake, and Mike Lee. And note that the newest Republican senator, John Kennedy from Louisiana, also joined in favor. Amongst the Democrats that voted against the bill were... Democrats Cory Booker and Bob Mendez, both from Big Pharma's major U.S. headquarters state of New Jersey. The drug industry's major presence in states like Delaware and Pennsylvania also seem to have played a role in getting the two Democratic senators from Delaware and one Democratic from Pennsylvania to vote no as well. And so did Democrat Patty Murray from Washington, who's one of the biggest recipients of pharma company donations with almost $300,000 for her re-election campaign last year alone. That's just an example of, like, that's a Bernie Sanders bill I could get behind. Why can't you import cheaper drugs from Canada or other countries as long as they're good, as long as they're not tainted, as long as they do their job? What's the problem? There's not a problem. That's called global free trading, my friends. That's actually a libertarian concept of allowing such things to happen because, oh, hey, Canada's producing said drugs and you can get them cheaper. Let's import them. But Big Pharma doesn't want that. You see how government controlling things can work in our favor sometimes and not sometimes interesting to say the least uh, Cory Booker I believe was on tap to be like one of the next Democratic nominees for president uh, I don't see this as a good 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 marking on his uh, on his report card who's to say though who's to say so that's the for all the hate that I've th- for all the hate that I've thrown at Bernie Sanders, uh, this one bill, for sure, I'm glad that I could get your support. I'm glad that uh, you could see things my way for once. Well, t- technically you saw things my way for once, but it is what it is. It's going to be an interesting week, to say the least, leading up to Inauguration Day. I do not plan on uh, doing any overtime this Friday, so I should be able to actually sit and watch the inauguration, see what goes down. Um, I don't intend to cover it. I'm not in a position to live stream. I might, you know, I could live cast on the Facebook page, who knows, or on Twitter, or share it on both platforms. I don't know. You can keep your eyes peeled for that. I'll be tweeting about it. I might be posting about it on social media, no doubt, uh, because it is a significant event. It is the historic event 
the transitioning, the peaceful transitioning of power. Uh, it's time for a new president, a new administration. And hopefully, for those of you who think it's all doom and gloom, hopefully I've painted a picture that it's not all doom and gloom. Not yet, at least, anyway. Uh, it's still going to be a rough four years because this goddamn idiot has his Twitter account activated. Somebody, for the love of God, either turn it off or tell Donnie to grow a pair. That's it for me this week. Like this, share this, comment on it. Let's drive some conversations, get some, get the ball rolling on some things, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be back maybe later this week, but most definitely next week. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate each and every one of you. And just a brief reminder, this is an on-demand program. Get it on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music. Visit the Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash thefritzcast. And I am on Twitter at FritzQS. Thanks for listening to FritzCast. See you next week.